I know. I, I recently decided that I think 1998 was the worst year of music, and everything that sort of came out of that continued to be shitty. <laughs> Hey man, how you doing? I'm good. So sorry to keep you waiting today. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, no worries, no worries. Where, uh, where in the world are you right now? Literally, I'm in, in uh, Antwerp. <laughs> <laughs> where is that? In uh, Belgium. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no. So it's. Uh, what time is it, it there? 
8 p.m. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, I was checking out your schedule. You guys got a gnarly tour schedule coming up. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's pretty action-packed. I mean, this is just kind of the beginning here in Europe, and then it's like North America hard till the end of January. So it's going to be good, man. I'm excited to be back at it. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, the dates I saw, I think all started... Like, there's a serious run starting in September all the way till mm-hmm. uh, the end of the year. Yeah, it goes until the end of January, actually. Okay. So there's, like, break for Christmas and stuff. Yeah, man, it's going to be good. All right. You still good. live in Canada? Like, yourself? Yeah, that I, where you... yeah. Live in Toronto. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah. Uh, so tell the, tell the listeners who may not be hip to the Sheepdogs uh, a little bit. Well, first of all, you play bass in a band called the Sheepdogs. Let me set this up. Uh, and you have a new album out called Out of Sight. Uh, the record like just came out, right? Like last yeah. week or something. Came out on Friday, so fun yeah. to be putting out new music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how long? How long had that record been in the tank? It was kind of a response to the pandemic and the lockdown, correct? Yeah, I mean, basically the whole thing came together. We did put out an EP over the course of the pandemic as well. So we kind of just decided. I mean, we're a live band a lot, and we travel mm-hmm. and tour and stuff, and. We didn't really know what to do when all the COVID stuff happened. And especially in Canada, like a lot of the lockdowns are pretty long and pretty serious. So it, mm. it made it pretty impossible to do like a lot. And usually what, you know, so in the pandemic hit, we had like a new record we were going to record in Portland and we were on our way to, you know, doing a bunch of tour dates and all this kind of stuff. And it all kind of just disappeared as everything did yeah, back yeah, then. And yeah. so as a response, we basically just started getting together whenever we could. We don't all live in the same city. So we get together okay. and we were allowed to be together. We would just jam like, kind of go back to the origins of the band. We just <clears throat> sit in a circle and we just work on, on tunes. And then when they're feeling good, we'd hit record. And so it kind of became a thing. It wasn't like making a record where you're like, okay, we got 12 tracks. We're going to record this amount of time. It was sort of like, let's get together as much as we can to kind of like beat the COVID blues. Cause we were just kind of over being stuck, not being able to do it. Right. Kind of in like a holding pattern. Yeah. Was the, when you guys are meeting, was the plan to, come up with new material for a record or was it just to be around people and play music and like reconnect with the the origins of it all and like forget about the industry whatever we don't know if the industry's coming back because i mean here in la like that's what it felt like it felt like oh well shit the world's over now what you know uh we had no idea what was going to come back or when or how or you know well it was the same thing and especially like in canada there was so much uncertainty around like when you know, it's like they said, the music industry is the first to get shut down and the last to open up kind of thing, right? And yeah. so it was sort of a bit, bit of both. We were just, we were super bummed out because we like get our energy from playing and making music and performing. And, and so it was just, a, yeah, it was a lot of the just like, let's, let's not worry about trying to make a record. Let's just get together and do the thing we know how to do, which is make music together. So that's great. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was nice. It was like, it's very like poetic or, you know, romantic in a way, yeah, or, but yeah. it was like, like we didn't sit down and be like we're gonna just make this thing it was just like hey let's pick these dates and we're allowed to be in the same room together and whatever and do it it was awesome wait did you pick up uh during that time did you pick up any any COVID hoppies did you start you know crocheting or (laughs) you know not really i mean it's funny because i moved right before COVID hit and so a lot of the time was spent like acquiring furniture uh, like you know mid-century furniture and stuff on facebook marketplace it was like kind of facebook yeah. marketplace was hot as shit right it's coming in man it was like you can't be like, around people but you can buy a nice end table i know it's like yeah. you can do like things where people would like buy and sell you stuff because everyone just started getting rid of stuff so i moved right. to a new place with my girlfriend and it was amazing it was very like in toronto is like very city city but it was sort of in a bit of a 
somewhat, I don't know how, it was sort of like Laurel Canyon vibes or something like that. Oh, wow, in front. Okay. It was like, it was cool. So we moved to this new place. It was awesome. And people just got bored and started selling their stuff. So I was yeah. like, oh man. So I started like being on Facebook marketplace every day and doing these handoffs where you'd like, you know, transfer people money and then like they'd leave it on their porch and they'd be hiding <laughs> in their house. Like the, the black market of, of Ottomans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, no, it, was, yeah. <laughs> it was great. I scored some good shit. It was awesome. But no, I mean, honestly, so like the first while we were just setting up this place. So that was like a good kind of thing to keep busy, but you know, outside of that, not really. I think it was just kind of like hanging out and, you know, playing video games. I don't know. I started playing video games again, which I okay. hadn't in a while. So, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I haven't, uh, I was never a gamer. I never got into it, but it just, no, I, don't I never know got super is. into it, but I also have like a very addictive personality. So I have to yeah. be careful because then it'd be that thing where it's like four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like yelling at the screen, trying to right, like, right. You, you haven't slept in three days. You got <laughs> yeah. like empty cases of Red Bull all over the place. Oh yeah, totally. No, so I, I, I didn't get that. Like nothing too crazy. Not like I didn't like learn another language. I mean, did anybody really learn another language? No, but I I felt like that was we all thought we were. Like, oh man, I got all this time. I'm gonna go running all the time. You know, I'm gonna. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to be yeah. more active because there's nothing really else to do. Uh, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to learn a language. I'm going to do all the things that I wish I had time for. No, no. It was I would so just funny sit there and I... binge watch Netflix. Oh, uh, exactly. Right? Yeah. And just like get like fatter. I, yeah. uh, I quit smoking right before the pandemic, which uh-huh. probably is a good thing. Cause I think if I wouldn't have done it before, I would never have survived. Right. Uh, so I would have just kept smoking the whole time through, but I got really into running. But the problem was, is that, uh, like as a counteracting the smoking, but once COVID hit, everybody was running and it was like, yeah. I didn't really know what you know, like you weren't sure right. if you could get it outside. And so I was just end up running in these weird areas, like industrial areas. And stuff, <laughs> I was just trying to avoid people. It was like, fucking like people were running around, like just everyone was so packed. It felt like, yeah, like everybody was just trying to like do something. Do so, something. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, so I, I didn't, I, I got nothing exciting that I can say, but I think it is, it's one of those things I will say that the one thing I do miss about that is there was this like weird moment. And I'm not sure you can appreciate this. So much of a musician ends up being like, there's always a sense of FOMO, whether it's like other oh, people yeah. are getting gigs that you wish you were getting or other people were doing that. And it's like the first time in life where I didn't have this moment, like paying attention to other people. And, uh, and it was kind of nice. Like it was what you're not doing right now or something like that. Right. Right. No, it did. I, it did feel good. Like it felt like the playing field was level finally. Yeah. You know, with oh, totally. music, yeah. Like, okay, great. Cool. Now I don't have to worry about like, you know, not having this gig or that gig because nobody has any gigs. <laughs> like <laughs> nobody has like right now I'm working just as much as Pino Paladino. Like I'm totally cool with this. <laughs> everybody's everybody's at zero. I know. Uh, and it was like so like it was like it, it's one thing I sort of missed because now that things are getting back at it, I'm sure you noticed, like everybody's on tour, everybody's putting out records, everyone's doing things, right. and it's fun to get back at it because you're like I kind of miss like when I can just sit in my house and look at, yeah, look at yes, whatever couches. <laughs> I think that's yeah. the thing. I think like there's a, it, it's a double-edged sword, right? Cause it's nice to be back out and especially as musicians and artists and you're back out there, you're doing the thing, you're around the musicians and all the friends you haven't seen playing. Mm-hmm. But then, but then you did realize like, wow, all the stress, at least for me, all the stress I put up with that I just accepted. Like all the stress of fighting traffic and going to a gig and all these things that are now so stressful. Like, wow, yeah. I really used to do this that often. Oh my gosh, why wasn't I a basket case? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do like, any oh, wait, of that I anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to be uh, able to right. see my friends, but now I kind of I don't want to see them, but I want to be able to see them. That's kind of yeah. where I live. Like, I want the I want the option to go hang out, 
but I really like being at home now. No, exactly. Well, that's the funny thing about getting back on tour, which is like what I've just been doing the last couple of weeks is like getting back and, you know, toured for my, like I started touring when I was, I guess, 20 years old. So it's like, I'm 38 now. So it's like, it's pretty wild to think about like 18 years I spent, you know, touring and then something went away and now I'm rusty. Like I'm like getting grumpy (laughs) over things that like shouldn't get grumpy over or whatever. Like it's, it's pretty, or just everything seems more difficult than it once was. And I think it is like, there's like, certain things have become more challenging because of COVID. This stuff still like getting fired back up, but yeah. yeah it's, and it's everybody's funny. super cautious, at least here. And when mm-hmm. I did some fly dates, like last, last year, I did a bunch of coastal stuff. Uh, like airports are weird and everything's just like a little bit more complicated than it used to be, you know, and I'm sure it's the same uh, up there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, oh yeah, man. I mean, Canada is probably a little bit more cautious in some areas, but in Europe, man, it's just like gloves are off. It's just like really? great. I, I like I was joking to somebody. I haven't seen a mask since I was here. You know, like I, I don't. I mean, whatever. It's like whatever you want to believe on that stuff. But I was like surprised at like nowhere, like train stations, like trains. No, everybody's just masks. going like, for it. Like just whatever. Back. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. So the first tour we went on was in uh, March, beginning end of February, March. And we went to, to London and to England. We did like a run of dates in England and it was our first time back. And I was like, my mind was blown. I went from Toronto, which is still like somewhat not locked down, but you couldn't eat inside a restaurant, still okay. wear a mask everywhere. I go to London. I'm like, nothing. It's like everywhere you go. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And boom, I got COVID like <laughs> two days after being there. <laughs> so okay. I was like, I'm like, so, <laughs> that, so this was March. So would that have been the, the Delta variant? Or the Omicron. There was one that sounded like a robot. I think Omicron. It was the Omicron. I'm guessing it was Omicron. I mean, I I didn't take it. Yeah, I can't keep track anymore. But how bad was it? Did it knock you out for like a... I I remember after I got the the vaccine, I was out for about, I don't know, 8 to 12 hours. I was just out. But other than that, I was fine. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was, I was fine. Some of the other good, I mean, the thing that's great about touring, right, is you got your whole team. And so I have a few people in our crew that are a little bit older and our, our sound guy got pretty sick and I kind of felt mm-hmm. a little bit guilty because yeah. he got sick and he was, he was fine, but you know, vaccine helped him out. But sure. you know, I was fine. The problem was, is that I wasn't able to get back into Canada because you can't get back into Canada until you have a negative test. So right. I was like, within what, 24 yeah, hours or three days? In 24 hours. So basically okay. like you have to keep testing. So everybody uh-huh. else, we got, got an Airbnb, we hung out, everybody started going home, and I was the last to go. So it took me 13 days to get a oh negative test. I, was, I had the least symptoms, I was totally fine, and then I just I kept testing positive. So I was just stuck there. But no, I, nobody got hit super hard. But it's okay. just one of those things, we really had to cancel a show because we all tested positive, and Oof. we had to like, yeah, so that was a bit of a bummer. Uh, but outside of that, it was like a pretty big welcome, or, you know, welcome back to touring, to just like a yeah. you know, couple days in, and then just boom, everyone gets coming, yeah. Uh, you've been touring since you were 20. So who were you? Who were you at? Well, but when did you start playing the bass? Let's get a little context here. Well, I mean, so this is the, the day I started playing bass the day we started this band. I mean, this band okay. started as like I played guitar and I played, uh, you know, keys. But I we kind of all got together as three buddies at like 19 years old and just wanted to do something different. We come from like a really geographically isolated area in Canada. Like okay. the closest cities are eight hours on one side and six hours at another. So you're kind of in the middle of nothing really around you. What's and the terrain do- like there? What's the, is it mountains? It's, it's like Nebraska. It's sort of okay. like Texas or Nebraska or something. Okay. Yeah. Really wide open. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, oh. I mean, it's right above North Dakota and Montana, so I'll give you okay. an idea what it's like. Sure. Um, so, I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're like 19. We want to do something different. Like at that stage, we're like, you know, you're still sort of hanging around some of your high school friends, but you want right. to like, you know, like, eh, I'm not really like into the stuff they're into. So we all, the three of us, you and Sam and I, the original three members, bonded over just music and not seeing a lot of people playing the music we like, which is rock and roll music. So we just started jamming, like drinking beers and jamming. And so yeah. Sam had never played the drums. I'd never played the bass. And we all learned to play together. So oh, that's cool. there was like a, a, I mean, it's like one of those things where, I mean, I've played with other people and stuff since, you know, here and there. But for the most part, it's been my only jam. And because we all learned together, there hasn't, right. was never really that point where like, I was in a ska band, so I want to be like this or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. that. Like, there was no influence or no like, tendency to lean towards something so when it came to eventually start writing music we were all sort of on the same page and kind of became a little bit more harmonious i guess although i don't know what the other thing would look like <laughs> yeah 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 true um, yeah. i'm fascinated so i heard the record and then read read up on the band uh, i heard the new record i decided i'm i was surprised to read that you guys were canadian because you guys sound more American <laughs> than American <laughs> bands. <laughs> I'm like I'm listening to it. I'm like, all right, yeah, this is like super Southern rock. You know, like I hadn't checked out anything. I was just listening to it. That was my first introduction. Love it. Uh, like, all right, like classic rock, Southern rock. Like every, almost every song kind of took me somewhere. Like it was a track three or four, maybe five on the record. Like it had a groove that I'm just like, lay down Sally. That's lay down Sally. And then like this other song had this thing. And I'm like, yeah, I dig that they have all this vocabulary from that period of music. Mm -hmm. uh, the Southern rock thing. Uh, all of it. All of it. It's just it was kind of very. Positioned in a time and place. And as an American and, and playing a lot of those tunes, it's, it's, it's great because it's, it, I felt like it was really speaking the language of that music. How did it? How did it happen that <laughs> you guys got like this Southern Rock, <laughs> Laurel Canyon vibe uh, up there in Canada? We always joke is like we're like we're we're from Southern Saskatchewan is where we're from, so we're in this. Okay, it's still the South. <laughs> we actually probably arguably in the area we're in is the most like like in America. I mean, I think it's funny. We grew up like I mean, I said I'm 38, so when I was in high school is when Napster was like popping mm -hmm. off. And so, like, it used to be, like, find, you know, your cool friend's older brother that would, like, turn you on to stuff that wasn't right. on the radio or whatever. But because when we were, like, you know, 15, 16, we were able to do the, like, thing people do on YouTube now, go down the rabbit hole, like, find right. out about artists, listen to music. So we just, like, consumed a lot of music as teenagers that really, like, got us sort of ahead of where we would have been had we been reliant only on listening to music as randoms. Because, like, the bands and the you know, other people in music reddits were really into like, I mean, in early 2000s, there was like lots of like metal or like emo bands were like big or like yeah. sort of not Let's really that like, whole like baritone doing. singer thing, like Nickelback Creed, Puddle oh, of Mud. Yeah. Like that was oh, the yeah. early 2000s after the grunge, yeah. then rock went yeah. there the other direction. And that was a dark I know. Place. I recently decided that I think 1998 was the worst year of music and everything that sort of came <laughs> out of that continued to be shitty there was at that time though like 1998 if you look it up is like that is like i mean they talk about the woodstock 99 being like yeah. the epitome of like bad music but 98 really set all that shit up like 98 oh, is have they, you look at what oh go ahead was that, that is that a is that a thing the woodstock 99 i remember that happening i'm 40 so i'm we grew yeah, up yeah, on the same, same stuff yeah. uh i don't they say remember like woodstock 99 was like 
that's like the epitome of like when like the height of Limp Biscuit, the height right. of they yeah, corn, like angsty male angst metal like stuff. And there wasn't a lot of like rock music. That's what that was. Yeah. Or it was pop music. It was it was sort of a battle between that and like the Britney Spears in sync like T you know TRL live. Yeah. Shit, right. So <laughs> yeah. you know I know. And so in that Woodstock documentary, they really like they really pinpoint that like that Woodstock Night is like the precipice of the shittiness. And it yeah. like sort of continued on into the early two thousands. But in two thousand four we started the band. That was like the beginning of like White Stripes. Kings of Leon put out this like EP around that time. That's really cool. Like earlier on, super like you know Southern Rocky. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I love whole, that like, first record roll. by them. I love the first record. Oh, yeah. And I, the oh, follow up yeah. record. I remember hearing the single, and I forgot the name of the single, but it didn't. I, I felt like they lost. They lost their identity or somewhere. It didn't sound like Kings of Leon to me, and so I just didn't really checked out the record. Yeah. Uh, so oh four is when the band got together, and this was. You guys are coming out with a sound that is uh, kind of the complete opposite. And if anything, like 30 years older. So how did you guys get hip to this? Was it someone's older brother or parent that hip to do some like, you know, Crosby, Steals and Nash or or where did you really? start to get these sounds? Well, I think a big part of it was, like I said, we sort of began, we were the, at the age where you could use Napster to go down these rabbit holes. So we yeah. would discover all the, you know, you'd learn about Led Zeppelin, but then you'd like, go down a rabbit hole and like, you know, find like, I don't know, weird bands that sort of sound like Led Zeppelin, yeah. like, uh, you know, like Leaf Hound or something like that. <laughs> like you really get in, that's like super random. But, uh, you know, so as a result, we were like getting into it. And the same time there was sort of like this rock and roll resurgence where bands were starting to do that. I mean, um, the other guys in the band, their parents were musicians. They were okay. like super, super like hip, you know, played them older music. And like, you know, obviously you hear like classic rock radio, but I don't know, we got really into it. And so it was just sort of like the music we liked to listen to. I mean, we always sort of just made music we liked to like hang out and drink beers or, yeah. you know, whatever that ends up being. And that's sort of the music we made and sort of always spoke to us is, is why we ended up doing that. And at a time when sort of like in the beginning of 2004, there was lots of cool bands that were playing rock music that were kind of bringing it back to a certain extent. Um, and we were kind of into that all. Yeah, Kings of Leon was great. I love the production on that first record. What were some other bands that were uh, influential on your band, not just you as a musician, but the whole band. Sure. I mean, I think like, obviously like we're big fans of the Beatles and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Credence is a big, big yeah. one. Uh, any from that I mean, time period specifically, any from the early two thousands? I mean, we were listening. Yeah. Like it's like Kings Leon was a big one. Uh, black keys, early black Keys mm -hmm. stuff was like, you know, all that super like kind of dirty blues stuff we were really into. Foo Fighters. Um, I feel like David is the last one still carrying the, the torch of rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, Foo Fighters. I mean, Foo Fighters is weird at that point, right? Because like the whole like Everlong era stuff and kind of passed, and they were mm -hmm. moving more into like the more modern rock thing. So I don't know if it's sort of a lie, but I agree. Like he's like the last true rock star or I something know. like that. I know, <laughs> but I'm he's like the last true rock star. He's a good guy, not like one of those guys who's like rock star, the shitty guy. Like <laughs> yeah, last, yeah. he's a good guy because there's like the whole thing, right? We're like. There's, people have longevity in music because they're good people. And so right. someone like Grohl, like, no one ever gave up on him. Even when, like, I'm sure, like, he's like, I'm going to make this solo record, call it Foo Fighters. We were like, we want to help you, Dave, because you're yeah. really cool. And he's just continued on from there. Yeah, no, I think uh, I'm kind of a fan. It took me a minute to come around to him. But uh, my, <laughs> my friend Laura is the backup singer in the band. And I remember oh, nice. we were at a barbecue a few years ago. I'm like, does he know that he's the last real rock star? And she's like, yeah, yeah, he knows. I'm like, yeah. good. good. There's, 
It's like that great video where he's like, it's uh, he's doing like a tour of his house and he opens up his fridge. He's got like a bunch of bottles of Dom in there. And he's like, oh, come on, dude. I was in fucking Nirvana. Like, he's just totally like, he knows how to like do He's like, you might seem weird that I think like garage fridge has like five bottles of Dom. He's like, I'm in fucking Nirvana. Come on. Man. It's like pretty funny. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I, all accounts I've heard, he's one of like the sweetest dudes. Yeah. Considering he could totally be an asshole and it'd be okay. Like, he, right? Yeah. So, uh, so how about uh so from these old bands you're checking out uh you're checking out the older stuff from the 70s who are the bass players that you started because you're new to the instrument around the time mm-hmm. you start the band so you're probably not only absorbing the bands and the vibe of the bands and the the style of what they're doing but who the bass players are and how they're approaching sure playing this stuff What's funny because like one like because growing up at that era too, a lot of bass players are just lots of like root note, you know, whatever like punk single note stuff. And I didn't really know a lot of people that I didn't really understand at that time like what the bass like what the possibilities were with bass and how yeah. bass how important bass was to like the idiosyncrasies of music and stuff. There's this guy named Jody Giesbrecht, who's a bass player from Saskatoon, who I saw play at a show somewhere. And he was super animated. He played his bass super high up, which obviously is the, the opposite of what everyone was doing back then. And, like, and he was just rocking out and he was just like, like just ripping. And I was like, it like changed my mind. I'm like, oh man, like you can play the bass in a way that can not just be a guy with bound below his knee, like just right. playing a root note uh, kind of thing. And it like changed the way I thought about it. So that like got me really excited. So then when I started listening to like old rock music, I mean, like, I was like, oh my God, you know, one of the biggest influences for me at the beginning was, was Pete Cetera from Chicago. Yeah. Like not Pete Cetera, like you're my inspiration, Pete Cetera, but like right. Chicago Transit Authority, like that first record, there's something like, it's like, it really opened my eyes. I think mean, Paul McCartney's another one too, where it's like the baseline of some of those songs is like, is the song. Mm-hmm. And it makes you realize that it's like, you don't just, you can move around within a song and, and, add something to it and kind of be that interplay that is between the drums and the guitar and be like the glue that kind of keeps those things together. Yeah. And those are kind of some of them. I mean, there's also like, you know, talking about credence, like Stu Cook's a really rad bass player. I mean, you know, but the two for me really at that time, I think the biggest one was Pete's Terra. Like I, that first couple Chicago records before they sort of went really full on is he's, he's incredible. And it's like, really, it's like the first time I ever sort of like understood that you could cut, there's a way you could meander with the bass that isn't right. necessarily exactly what everyone else is playing, but kind of can like add another dimension to it. So that he was, the, he was that one, which is, it's kind of a weird one. A lot of people write Chicago off as a band. that's kind of like, you know, whatever, right. Super eighties and have like 50 albums. But yeah, like those first couple records are unbelievable. I, uh, I watched that documentary that came out on them. I don't know mm-hmm. when the documentary came out, but that was one of the things I was binging during COVID. Uh, yes. I thought it was good. I didn't know that much about him. Like I knew, I knew the tunes. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I own anything by them. But uh, like I knew of them, and I'm like, all right, this is this is always a good way to like introduce. Let let me learn more about this, and I feel like if I can connect with their story somehow, I'll be able to mm-hmm. connect with the music a little bit better. So I'm always interested in like reading biographies or watching documentaries on bands and musicians. Yeah, no, uh, totally. and it and after that it sent me down the rabbit hole a little bit. I started giving them a second look. Uh, and you're right, you're right. There's some good stuff. Uh, there's some good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it it's one of those things too where 
it's fun to discover bands when they have other albums that you don't know and they're right. way cooler than their stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, and they're, they're, that band really shifted, right? Because the lead singer at the time, I mean, they all, Robert Lamb, Pete Cetera, and Carrie Kath and that band all sang bass player, keyboard player, and guitar player. But uh, kind of later in like the career, Terry Kath like shot himself drunkenly playing Russian roulette. And, it, and so like that really shifted the band because he was like, the, sort of the main guitar player and the driving mm. force in that band. And that really shifted the dynam dynamic. And as like the late seventies into the eighties happened, they sort of became more of like a hot AC band or something like that at the right. time. But they were like a dirty, like, like rock band that's full horns and like, yeah. so, you know, it's like, like very different than a lot of stuff that was happening at that time. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, then like, I mean, when David Foster got in there on Peter Cetera's solo yeah. career, like he got branded as that, you know, it's yeah. kind of like what David Foster Turned totally. him into, um, yeah. It's just kind of, kind of. Interesting. But he's, a, he's an he's an incredible bass player. He's got like some. Of the, I I still am yet to sort of figure out what his setup was to get the tone he was getting on some of those early records. Hmm. It's like it's a really rad sort of like it's not clean, like it's definitely dirty, but it's not like it's probably. I mean, it's probably just like an amp juiced in a room, you know, in a giant yeah. room they're recording in or something like that. But I've never really told like he's got amazing tone really like tasteful like not too like jerk offy with the way he does things he always right. brings it back home but definitely like you know goes out there and so it's one of those things where it was like it opened my eyes to that and not to say like if i listened to early records you would be like oh wow he's like really going for it because i was still very much like an yeah. early bass player but it's like something i sort of strive to for sure nice what's uh what's your what's your signal chain on this last record like what bass are you playing what are you going through uh how how'd you record the bass on the the sheepdogs last record Sure. The last record, um, I used a few different things. I mean, the main bass that I play is 71 P bass. Nice. That's just kind of my go-to. And again, we were just sort of jamming. This is my jamming bass. Um, and I have, uh, I did a, little, a fair amount of DI stuff and then just okay. sort of like, you know, mixed it. I wasn't like necessarily needing to have it be like a specific amp, but I have a B25B, like an anti B25B mm -hmm. that I use a lot when we're jamming. And okay. that's cool. I think, I think it's like a, I want to say it's a 68 or a 69. It's, it's a cool little amp. I found it at a shop in Portland one time on tour and just grabbed it. But nice. it's a cool, like, it's a, it's a lower wattage amp, so you can kind of get a little bit more grid on it Yeah. Uh, as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big, like, pedal guy or anything like that. Like, okay. I, uh, I have a compressor that I use that just okay. kind of gives me a little bit more, a little bit more, like, live, especially a little bit more top end, because I definitely like to play higher up at times, and so it gives me a little bit more drive in that department. But. Did you? Is that is that something you picked up from McCartney? No, I didn't know. Like, I know. I honestly, it was a guitar tech of ours that was like, oh, really? I was like, man, I yeah. Hey, not the compression pedal. I mean, playing higher on the bass. Is oh, that something? Probably. Yeah. You no, know, it was another another. This is a Canadian reference here for you. I don't know. Do you know the band Sloan? Do you know that band? I know. I don't know why I know of them, but I've heard of them. Like Sloan was like a band from Canada. That sort of was like O A N, right? Yeah, yeah, Sloan. And uh, so the bass player in Sloan's named Chris Murphy. And Chris Murphy is a super rad dude. He is like an incredible songwriter. He's an incredible singer, bass player. Um, and they've been a band since the 90s. They were sort of, they were on, I want to say they were on, they were sort of like in the earlier 90s, tended to kind of be a new Nirvana at one point. And then they, okay. in like 95, 96, they put out an album. 95, they put out an album called. Uh, Navy Blues, which was like, they went from being sort of a grungy type band to like being more of like a Beatles-esque, like okay. rock, um, you know, throwback band. Anyways, Chris Murphy uh, sings high harmonies, 
and plays like a Mustang and plays like up high stuff a lot. Yeah. And he was someone who was super influential in the Canadian at the time is like someone who I could look up to his contemporary okay. that was doing that. And so that would be another thing you know, playing up high. Yeah, but obviously I'm a Carney as well. It was definitely like, again, like using pizza terror as well, like using all the, all the frets you have to try to like, you know, do different sure. things. Yeah. The full range of it. Uh, yeah. Where'd you get the, it was the 71. Where'd you get the 71 P? I got a picture got it. from your PR company, and I think the picture is you playing something that looks like a mid fifties P bass. Like it's got oh, the really? telly head stock. Yeah. Did you even know? You like you act like you don't even know this picture exists. <laughs> oh, you know what? That is that is it's uh that one that I did. I think it's a studio one. That was maybe on one or two songs I played that one. That is, that's the one that was at the studio. It's like, okay. it's like, uh, it's got the tally head stock. Yeah. I uh, like that on bases. I was just talking to yeah, a, no, cool. a bass maker last night. He was going to make me a P bass and send it over. He's like, what do you want? I'm like, dude, I want the tally head stock. Nice. You know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, have to, I, have to, I don't remember what, what year that one was. I forgot about that. It's funny because it's like that thing where you just, we were, we did it over so many sessions and, you would just grab an instrument and sit down and play. And if it sounded good and whatever you're into it, we would record right. it. So. Uh, how many days were you in the studio for out of sight? Um, I mean, we did it over the course of several months, but I mean, probably a total of like, I don't know, two or three weeks all lumped okay. together. If okay. you like, but again, it was like spaced out, which is cool. Like, I know like how you like, when it comes to like writing, like I like to have time away from stuff. So I like to be able to jam stuff and then like, go home and like think about it i'm not like amazing at like really coming up with good stuff right on the spot when mm-hmm. it comes to like being in the studio okay. so we would like work on something and then i'd go away and we come back and we continue working on it and I, I like that so we sort of spaced it out based on the proximity of the fact that everyone had to be in the same city we'd right. all kind of come together so it was cool though i mean that was good yeah i would say it probably about you know three three weeks maybe a month total all said and done. okay that's that sounds like it's a, a much more relaxed you know, schedule than some studio dates can be, where it's just like, all right, we got four days, yeah. <laughs> you know, to to do oh, seventy five yeah. tunes. Go, <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, yeah, yeah. And, and you like you gotta learn them, and you gotta like, yeah, your them. ears are shot after yeah. like six hours, and you're, you know, we we've done that one too. We did a in two thousand twelve. We did a record with uh, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, mm-hmm. uh, and he had a very short window of time to like produce a record for us. And so we, it was basically between when El Camino came out and when they went on tour okay. and we had like two and a half weeks to record, to write, record and finish an entire record. I will never do Never do that again. No, it's not, it, I mean, we had fun, but, but you well, know, I, I like to like, yeah. Say that again, write, record and release. And the right record and finish. Like, oh, finish. Like okay. But you didn't like, have yeah. to get it mixed and mastered. No, it's, okay, it's not okay. like, yeah, like, oh, no, my God. Like, oh, my God. Like, what is this, like, 1956? Like, <laughs> 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 gotta get this out. This single's going to number one. Yeah. Awesome. Like, uh, no, it was, uh, it was just, you know, so in this case, we weren't actually even thinking we were going to necessarily put each of these songs out. It was like, let's focus on one track, make it as good as it can be. Because we sure. did it all live off the floor in the same room. And, and it was cool. It was like, for us, it was very relaxed and very like no pressure. And after the song didn't work out, it didn't work out. You didn't sure. have to be like, fuck, we just blew two days on this song. And, yeah. and you know, whatnot. So, yeah. Uh, what is the, what is the title of the album referred to? I'm always curious when the title of albums aren't a song title. It seems like there's a, a purpose in the writing or a narrative that with all the songs together, create a story or an idea 
Uh, so what does out of sight refer to? It's it's kind of there's I wish there was a good story to it. I, mean, I, I you know I mean, you made me think I'm probably like you're a, an early early uh, like long form interview here, so I'm definitely gonna like think of a good. So I just will make them up. Honestly, it's like with this one, like everything, we didn't even think about. It wasn't conceptualized as like a whole piece. It was like let's mm-hmm. just make music. When they came to the title, we were like we like two word titles, and we thought that sounded cool. Because again, it's like naming a band or naming an album or whatever is so hard because it's like fuck, it's like. It's so easy to be like, look up on the internet and yeah. be like, okay, there's like a million albums. What should albums, I call like, my band? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that's a whole other thing, right? Like, <laughs> well, we're going to come back to it. I want to, because the Sheepdogs <laughs> is the original name. And I want to know where yeah. you landed on that. Okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but for right now, we're on the album still. So it was just really something that you like the sound of. Yeah, no, exactly. We kind of liked it. We like the idea. This is the album itself sort of lends itself a little bit to more of like a lady later 70s vibe mm-hmm. to which i mean it's like a lot of stuff in the later 70s visually went like space and so yeah. you thought it was kind of like lit. And so that's why the artwork kind of goes that way a little bit too and yeah it's fun to kind of like lean into it it just sort yeah. of uh no, it's know, very made cool. sense. It's very i mean cool. i guess you could also say that a lot of the themes around this record uh really did lean towards like not making music that was when we tried very hard to not think about the pandemic while it was going on and yeah. like make music that's going to be a good soundtrack to the future. So you could probably say that a lot of the songs are like wishful thinking, like okay. looking forward to being able to do that. And I think you could say a lot of that really felt like it was like you didn't know it was coming out of sight. So you yeah, can yeah. kind of like say, so it was a conversation we had. And we were very consciously were like, listen, I'm like making up the story here as we go. No, no this is but great. Like, this is great. Yeah. This yeah. Is, so but we were like the whole These are the new liner like, notes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. No, it's. We, uh, we, but it felt like you didn't really know. It was weird to make like music that you're like, I can't wait to like mm. drink beers and party to this music. But it's like, but when is that going to happen? Yeah. Because this shit is going on so long. And so it was, but we very consciously were like, nobody's going to want to listen to music about the pandemic. Like, we, I was live, like, nobody's going to want to go back and be like, I really want to watch that live stream that band did, in, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like May 2020. It's like, fuck no, you know, I don't want to be reminded of that shit ever. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, Let's all so. just move past it. Uh, yeah. So now, now on to the, the band title. So sure. the Sheepdogs wasn't the original band name. What was the original yeah. band name? And then how did you come into the Sheepdogs? Sure. I mean, same thing. The original name was, I mean, the breaks. We were okay. like just jamming and we were trying to come up with a name that would be the band. Lots of the bands at the time. Yeah. And then the breaks we were really into. We put out, we were going to put out a record and we like, the internet looked it up and there was like another band called the breaks. Although I don't know if, you know, whatever. And, and so then we had to change the name. And so it was this like panic because we were going to put out like our first record and we didn't have a name. Yeah. Um, so we just sort of like made a big list and picked one off of it. I mean, we were all like shaggy guys. We had like long hair and okay. beards and things. Um, what else was, was on the list? Song. Do you remember anything else from the list? Oh man, there's so many bad ones. There's anytime one of you're ones, naming, and I think anytime you're naming a band, it becomes like there's some good ideas in there. And then the conversation takes such a left turn. And somebody yeah. says something really, <laughs> you know, probably something I can't repeat on the mic right now. Oh, It'll yeah, just yeah, be some yeah. super off color joke. And then <laughs> that, that snowballs for yeah. like a four day conversation, but they're hilarious. Oh, I mean, they're amazing. And then you're like, you know, and then nobody names a band being like, I'm, we're going to be a band 20 years from now. We're still going to be like, what was the reason you called your band yeah. name this? And it's like so funny. So you don't name a band thinking of that. It's like, I always say like, give the band whatever name. You got to make a name for yourself. It's like, you yeah. can take any, I mean, the Beatles is a shitty band name, right? It's but like, band name, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. nobody's like thinking that now, right? Yeah. So maybe it took me a while, but, uh, no, so I think the, the sheepdogs is the thing we were like, we're shaggy. There was a, a band called Mondo Diao uh, at that time. They had a song called Sheepdog, which is kind of a sweet song. Okay. Not like rock uh, thing, which is funny because years later, we played in New York. The lead singer of Mondo Diao was walking down the street and he saw sheepdogs on a sign and he came to our show. And then we had mutual friends met us afterwards and we were like we were like he's like it's funny you say that i saw that sign and it made me think of that song oh that's, and that's why i came into the show that's, that's like a hilarious. real thing and so we were like yeah it was sort of based on the song by your band okay so yeah but there isn't really a, i mean we've made up so many hilarious stories about about the, the origin because you do certain interviews where that's like their, their big question they've like huh. list. their number one is like where do you get the name from and so i wish we had a better name i wish like our better yeah, let's, story let's, uh, yeah okay like that's fine i like the, how it happened to be like that's actually cool and it's really cool that you yeah you met so. the dude but now i want to hear one of the stories that you tell like what's one of the, <laughs> you know like you know how when people like with complicated names go to starbucks and they have a starbucks name <laughs> yeah. it's just like an auto yeah. Automated response. Yeah, I want to hear the automated yeah. response to the name. Uh, there, there's a few of them. One of them is that uh, Ewan is from Australia, and uh, he, I mean, he was born in Australia, moved to Canada like much later. Okay. And he, he always tells a story that when he was a young boy, he like dreamt of moving, being in Canada and playing in a rock and roll band, and he was sitting in a park and he saw a, sh- a sheep and a sheep dog go by. I saw a sheep and a dog. And then he just decided, you know what? When I start a band, I'm gonna call it the sheep. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, when I, like when I, there's like they're floating around. Every once in a while, you'll see it like pop up on like uh, something that somebody's pulled from another uh, another story or something. It's like that. pretty but funny. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. There's definitely been made up on the spot, too. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I think it's more fun to do stuff like that. Like every time you tell the story, don't ever tell the real one. Just make one up every time. You know, oh, so exactly. it's like this yeah. elusive thing no one really knows, but it's it's entertainment. At the yeah, same totally. Time. Yeah, but the word of advice to any young man, like, have a really good story because people are going to ask you that. Even or just make up the story. Like, make up the story. Yeah, yeah. Write the, you know, come up with the backstory. Yeah, no, totally. But I mean, I guess I'm sure if you're like Humphreys McGee or something like that, like, that <laughs> probably gets that asked way off more often than, like, or at least be harder to come up with something, right? Right. <laughs> I think the best one is the best one is Steely Dan. Like, I still think that's. <laughs> you think that's better than Led Zeppelin? The best, like, origin story it's just it was just the name of a vibrator right like right. that was just like they're like we're gonna be called steely dan it's the name of a vibrator they saw in like a magazine like that's like did anyone ask like you just say that shut them down <laughs> story over so it's like i kind of like led zeppelin i think that's my favorite band story name or at least one of them <laughs> because who was it some somebody who knows a lot about rock history will probably correct me but was it robert daltrey from the who that said, like, he first heard him and, like, these guys are going to bomb like a Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it was all, like, it was, like, these these words that were spoke over them about how they were going to fail. And then they're just like, yep, Led Zeppelin, we're going with it. Yeah. And no, now it's, you know, now it's Zeppelin and they're huge. And I don't remember. I'm going to have to look that up now. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's someone like that. I mean, it's definitely in that whole scene of things. But, yeah, yeah. That, is, that is. That's one of the best. Like, there isn't really... There isn't. There isn't a lot of really good stories behind them, and when they are good, they're really good. And then there's a whole bunch of just random ones. Maybe that is a good one. What what a better way? Like what better fuck you to that yeah, comment? Exactly. Have that name, and then become like 
literally like it's it's not even it's not even like a band name it's like an adjective or something yeah, like that, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. no i mean like how how cool is it to like they've been no one ever says like i'm listening to led zeppelin they're just like zeppelin it's just zeppelin now and then <laughs> yeah. and they've created such a sound that you could be like do that robert plant thing do that jimmy page thing you know do the john yeah. paul jones thing like everybody had it's iconic i love that band yeah no, totally. Love that, man. Big time. Uh, what do you listen to in your free time? Or what are you, you listening know, to in your free time right now? You're rocking the right Bob Seger t-shirt. I want to... Yeah, this is, no, this is a, just an audio podcast, but I want to bring attention to <laughs> Bob <laughs> Seger in the building. Yeah. Oh, my God. Love, love me some love me some <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, it seems like... I'll, I'll, just, I'll like pull out my thing. It's funny because I kind of go all over the map, right? Because I find that, you know... I, I, for me, like music is obviously so, I mean, not for me, for everybody, music is so thematic. So depending on what I'm doing, like if we're on tour, I'm probably not going to want to just listen to rock bangers all day long because I'm doing that every single night. And so I'm venturing more into, uh, I think, I know for me, like whatever gig I just did, like for context, like I work freelance in LA. So whatever gig I just did, I'm not going to listen to that on the drive home. It'll probably be the complete opposite. (laughs) You know, so if I just got doing a jazz gig, like I'm going to listen to like whatever the radio is playing for pop or or hip hop or country or something completely different just to cleanse the palate. Uh, Yeah. So now you have with that in mind and that idea in mind, you play these songs. You've been playing these songs. You were there in the creation of these songs. You know, these songs better than everybody you know uh, maybe the guys in the band too um saying that you know it better than them um yeah maybe you get get, you get a little burnt out you know after night after night after night of hearing the same song so what do you listen to to clear the palate yeah no for sure well i mean one thing i got really into even over the pandemic but no is exotica music like i know it's very general but like I got really into it because it's it's so thematic and it's like if you're like making dinner or you're barbecuing or um you know just like out for a walk it's like it's like very like you feel almost feel like you're in a movie or something like that okay. it's like and it's such a general term right it's like that like Lex, Les Baxter uh you know like or I don't know what else would be considered exotica like uh Martin Denny or uh, uh, I don't know it's like that stuff where it's got like bird sounds and it's like it's sort of like like meditation music no it's like it's like stuff from like the 50s and 60s where like white dudes made music that sounded like it was sort of from like the Orient and I say that with making finger quotes (laughs) white people jacking another culture like Uh, just white people being the worst in another way that's what oh, it big is time. yeah but they, it's like pretty it's like sort of like the type of music that you would imagine would be played at like a cocktail party you know in like the hollywood hills in like 1966 or something like okay. that you know what i mean it's okay. kind of it's cool it's not it's not like overtly racist but it is totally <laughs> like of an era it's of an era where it's like they're not it's not coming from an ill it's not, there's no ill will intended for it but it's definitely sure. like you know you would it'd be something that you would put on and imagine what they would listen to in hawaii or somewhere in like tahiti or something like that but really it's not it, it, but musically it's really cool i really like it and it definitely is like very chill okay stuff. but i also like find myself drawn to like um let me some good examples like like the fruit bats early on the fruit bats they put out a record over the pandemic that's uh gold past life is what it's called i think 
And uh, yeah, and it, it's like super good, just like feel good music. I mean, I thought listening to like, you know, more like country stuff or more just, you know, leans a little bit more chill than just like straight ahead. Not to say like our albums and our songs are all like just straight ahead rock songs, but I find uh, myself. Record is, uh, it's a very feel good record. It's just like totally. good vibes hanging out in the backyard. Uh, you know, you mentioned barbecuing the other day or the other day. You mentioned barbecuing just a second ago. Um, yeah. But it's that thing. It's, it's something you put on when you're hanging out with buddies. That's going to be a soundtrack to community and recreation and good times. Like all that was communicated. Totally. Yeah, yeah no, totally. Yeah. No, I mean, so I, I mean, I kind of go all over the map, but I think like definitely like I lean a little bit more like, not like chill, but maybe a little bit less. Like, I don't know if I, I mean, I there's a time and a place for everything. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a big like motorcycle guy and okay. I like there's certain music that I'll like get like, fire up if i'm gonna go for like a ride or something like that but uh definitely if i'm just like at home i'm not like just cranking the like zeppelin or something (laughs) uh so you sing harmonies in the band when um i do yeah how long into the band did you start at what point did you start singing in the band was this right out of the gate you were you're just like all right yeah let's do some harmonies Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we wanted to. It's, I don't think the first time you try to sing harmony, it's very good unless you're <laughs> good at it. Because uh, again, we were all like learning how to do it. But yeah, I mean, we I mean, the music we liked, uh, everyone singing. So we tried pretty early on. When we got good at it, or at least good enough to like have it be super passable, was, was maybe a different story. But yeah, like pretty early on, we wanted to like we liked the idea of a bunch of, I mean, a band playing together and singing together, and that's always been like a big part of how we've always done things and the bands that we looked up to that was a part of what they did too so we just sort of learned so i mean none of us were professionally trained singers or anything like that yeah. it was just sort of like you know and i had a high I have a higher range high register and so i want you know i sang the higher part and sam drummer initially was just the three of us and now that there's five of us and we all sing it's like it's yeah you can do some pretty fun things and we're not doing like weird like you know choral chord type things but we're, you know we're like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you can like you it can doesn't sound like a like, box chorale or anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah exactly but no i mean it's we love like guys all singing and playing together I mean, the guys are really big into guitar harmony too mm-hmm. so like we really like you know we don't want to we're not trying to be nerdy but we like the idea of bringing some of those elements of actually having harmony be part of melody and, and all those things. Sure. And I think it's, it's cool. And it's, it also, it's like, there's power to having a bunch of people singing together. And yeah. Not, I think so. nothing, not, we're not the first band to do it by any means, but it's cool to like, we, yeah. it was something we wanted to be able to do. So we learned to do. It's a very cool thing that I do think is both underutilized and can easily be overdone. Totally. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it's great. Like, where, do we, where, do, where do we land? Where do we land in your spectrum? I uh, um, I liked it. I liked it a lot because there's elements, there's elements on it where you wouldn't see it coming, and I'm like, oh wow, this takes me right to like the Eagles or the band America or like you know yeah. where they really do that. I'm like, oh yeah, this is sick. Uh, but it's not at all overkill where it's like, oh hey, double chorus, here come the harmonies. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I didn't all, all of us, all of us, you know, figure <laughs> in the around the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> back, That's back to the 1950s recording session. Yeah. All the guys, <laughs> one one can on singing around the mic. Yeah, yeah some, some guy with a cigar in the control so, room. Yeah. yeah, great work, kids. Great work. <laughs> we take it right to the top. Yeah. Sign this publishing contract. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but I mean, we, I don't think it's one of those things we definitely, it's funny because like one of the songs in the new record, Find the Truth, mm-hmm. 
has, and the chorus, we only have harmony on the second time he sings. The where you would think, even when we started playing it live, I'm like instinctively want to go up to the mic and sing harmony, but we only put it on the second time that he says find the truth. And I, we like to like not be super predictable all the time right. with it. But yeah, it's like also fun to create sort of like soundscapes mm-hmm. in a sense with harmony and be in the studio and mess around with that and mess around singing like all of us on the same mic sometimes, sometimes doubling, tripling up things to really like build out and have different people sliding different ways. Like not going to like full beach boys or anything like that. But, like, yeah, like there's, there's ways you can do really cool. Like it's really fun to do. And, and it's another instrument that you can use. Yeah, sure. absolutely. They well put, well put. Um, how does this song for, for listeners that might not be familiar with your older work, how does this record, how is this different from previous records by the sheepdogs? Sure. Well, I mean, uh, I mentioned we probably our most successful record was in 2012, at least in Canada. We got like really popular around 2011, 2012. And then um, we put out a record, the one I was talking about, we, we did with Pat Carney. And that's very like Black Keys of the mm-hmm. era sounding. Like he definitely put that touch on it. Yeah. Um, prior to that, you know, our record, we recorded in a house by ourselves, you know, figuring it out. So it was a very big departure. But sort of since then, like the last record had a lot of like, it was a, a double record. It was 18 songs. It had lots of like uh, different instrumentation on it. It had like pedal steel and um, banjo and mandolin. And we like kind of like really like explored that studio space thing where we just try to threw a bunch of things at it. Definitely leans a little bit more probably on the countryside, mm-hmm. a little bit more. Whereas this is probably a little bit more. I mean, it's not like it's a straight ahead rock record. Like it's going to just be like, you know, like whatever what you would consider like rock rock yeah. but it's it's definitely like it has those elements of americana but it definitely doesn't mean as much like there is like a song like carrying on the record has pedal steel still and stuff like that but i mean it's definitely a continuation i mean we don't want to make the same record every time yeah. we don't want to write the same songs over and over again but we're also like not suddenly going to put out like a you know 80s synth pop record or something like that right 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 nothing that sounds like depeche mode is going to be coming out from the sheepdogs <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it'd be, I'd be interested in Scribe. But, yeah. No, I, <laughs> yeah, put some banjo we're very, uh, we're very, yeah, We're very honest on who we are, and we're not, like, pretending to be... I mean, from the beginning, it was always, like, let's make the music we like to make. Hope other people like it. And at points in our life, like you mentioned, there was eras in which people were like, you're never going to get on the radio unless you sound like Nickelback. And, like, we're like, well, we don't want to sound like Nickelback. Or, yeah, you know, good, like, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, yeah. it's a, we're now in a wonderful era. Of, well, Well, musicians don't get paid well for streams. It allows avenues in which people can discover you. You don't have to go down a single track path in order to like, you know, and I think that's cool. And so we just want to continue doing what we're doing. And the music we like is the stuff we make. And so every record, we try to like make more songs that we like and that we we be into. Like you said, that would be good for barbecuing or hanging out with your buddies or whatever. Yeah. Uh, No, I love that approach. I love the approach of like, you know, if... Instead of trying to create this product that you think will sell, which is the song, <clears throat> just create something you believe in and that you had fun making. Because I think all that is now woven into the content and the fabric of what mm-hmm. you're creating. And that that communicates more than anything. Like you could sit down with a, a team of staff writers or songwriters, whatever, and concoct a song that we're sure mm-hmm. it's the number one hit, but it's going to sound sterile. You know, like there's no human in it. And there's no real longevity to that. I mean, the the funny part about this, you're talking, like we've been a band for almost 20 years and we have 
three guys, three, the three guys who started this band are still in this band. We've had a few members come and go, but like the yeah. three of us that literally started together. And part of that is because there was never, there's been tensions and things and ups and downs. I mean, that's part of being in a band, but it's like, we still sort of <laughs> at the core of the same thing. And I think there's a longevity of that. Whereas like, yeah, like having a, I mean, there are people who have had long careers with some other writers and things like that. It's fine. But you know, it's something you said about just like making honest music and trying to like succeed yeah. with that as a, as a team of people or a group of people that have like are like minded versus like writing something to have like having a single moment of success to me is like that that just eventually goes away. Like very yeah. few people can take that and and parlay that into a career. And what we wanted to be as a career, like we're not just like we want to succeed. We wanted like be musicians who play the music we like and yeah. Well, we even, you know, weave back and forth between whether rock music is popular or not, <laughs> whatever that, you know, however that happens. Oh, man, that's an interesting conversation. Uh, I actually, yeah, I want to talk about that with you. Uh, sure. I also want to talk about um, the Sheepdogs was the first unsigned band ever to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, correct? Did I have that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now, if you can get to that level of success, that's a successful moment, I think, in anybody's career. Uh, any musician's career, any artist's career. Um, what is the need for a label? You guys did clearly a lot of heavy lifting without a label. Label. Mm -hmm. What is what's the label bringing to the to the table right now? I mean, it's an interesting question. Um, but I mean, the, the Rolling Stone thing was a, a funny thing. We were we were contacted literally out of the blue by an A and R person from Atlantic and somebody from Rolling Stone to say we're putting together a group of artists to be the first unsigned like a competition to be the first unsigned band. Okay. That's like we like submitted to. We just like they're like we think you're one of the best unsigned bands. Like we discovered you. Like you'd be part of thing. So we did this whole competition uh, where it was like voting and stuff, and we ended up winning. Okay. But it's a funny thing. By much to what I was just saying about the longevity is like. I mean, that's just like some people are like, oh, you made it. It's like, no, we didn't. Like, mm. we, we want a thing we're on the cover of Stone. It's amazing. We got a lot of like publicity and a lot of people paying attention to us. But then it's like, how do you take that and, and continue to have a career? Right. What, from do you, that? what do you do with that now? Like, cool. I was on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, it was cool. Now whatever. What? And I think it's, and also it's like, how can I prove to people that we're not just a flash of the pan band that won a competition? We're a real band and they're a band for seven years right. prior we've, to that. We've been and grinding we've been it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, it was all about just continuing to move forward and do that. So, I mean, so much of what we've done since then is trying to continue forward. And there's, like, steps forward and steps back that happen with something like that. But overall, it's just been, like, continuing to put on music, continue to tour, you know, put on great live shows, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, the funny thing about that, though, is the one thing we learned with everything like that is, like, no matter how much you succeed, nobody is ever going to care as much about what you do than you. So like yeah. the biggest artists in the world, man, I mean, I don't know, like no matter like who, no matter how much, how much money you're giving somebody or whatever that is, that person is still not going to care as much as you. So we learned very early on that it was important to like still control the things that you can and lean on the people and things that you can't do. So, I mean, so I manage the band, I'm okay. the band manager, we have a label, but I'm like very involved. I also have like, I do all the production, uh, for like video production stuff for us. So I have like people that, that work for me, that work for us, that help us do all like the videos, content, all the social media content. I mean, we do all that stuff in-house. We don't want the label that we basically use as a way to help us like publicly get the music out there, help us like push, you know, in areas in streaming or 
publish, well, not publicity necessarily, but like streaming and things, place marketing, helping market the music. Okay. That's what we do. But everything else, I mean, it's the funny thing. And we're a really weird part of music right now. We're like TikTok is like the way that people are marketing music. Okay. okay. Yeah. Talk to me about TikTok because yeah, so, I don't, I don't know about it. I've never been on it. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I kind of automatically when che- I check out when someone's like, Oh, yeah. I saw this on TikTok. Like, eh, yeah. whatever. Like I'm 40. I don't, I, oh, at, yeah, at 40, like I'm, I'm now old enough to be like, I don't care what the kids are doing. Like I can yeah, officially I say that. But, but it's a really funny thing because it's, that's what now all the labels are like, TikTok. It's all about like, you really? TikTok, you TikTok. it's a thing. And the reason is, and the thing that makes TikTok cool is it's a music driven social media. So you can see why it's like people get really into a song on there. It's a way that you, people can discover music. It's a way that people like take your music and make a video and they put it in there and then other people discover it. So like you can see and TikTok is weird because it's run by a Chinese AI company. And so they have like crazy technology in the back end sure. that like, makes like algorithms like crazier than any other social media. So shit like blows up, like really can get okay. really big randomly. And so that, but it's a funny thing because now labels rather than being like, we're going to make you a star. They're like, this artist, we need you to come up with do funny things on TikTok, And that's going to make you maybe. So like the onus is being shifted back onto the artist greater than probably ever to like, mm. you need to be the one that needs to like, you need to create a persona or you need to create these things. So there's a lot of young artists that are probably in LA right now being like molded into how they can like get their TikTok to blow up, which is like right. disappointing. So it's almost yeah. just like social media coaches, like record labels turned yeah. into oh, I know. <laughs> social and media really content weird. coaches. But I mean, so what, the way that we've always done it is like, I understand that there's a relationship that has to be had with somebody who's going to like, if you're going to partner with someone to help put out your music and they provide a value, then you, it's a partnership. And that's how I've always worked with the label. So the funny thing with the TikTok, back to the TikTok thing, is like, I have a relationship with the label. They're saying, you got to do things on TikTok. So we're figuring out ways that we can do it. But I'm also old too, man. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't totally get it. But I also get to see that I enjoy, every one time I go on TikTok, I'll like find something. I'm like, okay, that's kind of funny. Like, we put a video up there. I saw this thing where, you know, it's like, <laughs> there's, only, there's like videos you've seen. And you're like, oh, okay, we could maybe do something that's kind of like that or, or whatever. So we kind of like carve our own thing out from that. And there's a power to that, but at the same time, like, like we've always seen the importance of like still keeping control and not just being like the label will take care of it. They're going to like make us, right. you know, buy and so as a result, like I see that there's a value in a label, but I think it's really important that artists also know that you have a value and that even more so now with TikTok, you value you're being marketed as you, not mm-hmm. just your music. So to hold on and control that as much as possible to allow right. yourself sort of the autonomy to do it. So that's, that's something that we learned very early on, especially because we did it for so long by ourselves that we've always held on to that. So, you know, it makes, makes for a very interesting kind of journey in this world of a lot of people, you know, bigger people on labels and things like that. And you're dealing with them and they're kind of taken aback when you can be like, Oh no, actually like, that's not what we want to do. And I don't want to do that. Right, <laughs> so, It's self-contained. Yeah. We know what we're yeah. doing and we can make it happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe we won't ever be like the biggest band in the world, but I'm okay with that. I would rather have the control than let somebody else kind of sure. take us in a direction that we don't want to go. Uh, dude, thanks for doing this. Oh, well, thanks so much. 